were thrilled to have my new friend, uh, the AI pioneer, the digital challenger and change management superstar, Amr Mohammed, joining us today. A warm welcome, uh, Amr. Hello, thank you uh, very Hi. much. Hi, <laughs> great to have you here. Thank you, thank you. So excited to be here. Uh, How are you today? I'm very good, thank you. I didn't realize that I was the only one in this webinar. I thought we would be a panel, but okay. All pressure on me then. <laughs> <laughs> so, Amr, I would like to start this interview with some quick warm-up questions where you answer as quickly and as short as possible. Are you, are you ready? Sure. Yeah, hit me. Great. So, where are you from? I'm from Stockholm in Sweden. What's your current role? I'm the digital officer for Co-op Sweden. What's your biggest achievement, according to yourself? Uh, I was the top players of World of Warcraft uh, once upon a time, and I think that was a <laughs> pretty cool achievement. <laughs> wow, and that takes quite a lot of uh, time and effort to get there. Uh, yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> Six hours a day for two years it took. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, when do you enjoy work the most? Uh, always, it's my hobby, so I don't really view it as as uh, as work. I, I usually say that if you look forward to the weekend, then you're doing the wrong things. What makes a good leader? Uh, someone who is very very uh, inspiring and not afraid of being the dumbest in the room. I like that. Don't be afraid to be the dumbest person in the room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One key ingredient to create the happy workforce? Uh, passion. Passion. And, and what's trust. your passion and trust? Yeah. And what's your motto in life? Impossible is nothing. I love that. Love that. <laughs> so you've been very visible in media and you've been even called like the AI genius in the mm. Swedish media. And uh, you mm. get a lot of success with your disruptive projects at huge conglomerates, Stenaline, uh, mm. who are shipping, uh, recycling, energy, real estate, and now traditional uh, co-op, um, mm. a 150 year old grocery retailer. Yep. Uh, where you go in and challenge industries and put them in the forefront of digitalization. What's what's your secret to one getting so much media traction and two getting things done? Uh, I think that I'm not really you know trained in media handling and stuff like that. But I, I think that the fact that I'm not afraid to make bold statements uh, and the media and the media eats that up. Uh, so. When I, for instance, when I started this job, you know, I know that uh, there is no secret that co-op has been struggling, you know, for the past 40, 50 years. And when I come in, I don't say, okay, let's get a little bit better. I, I just say, you know, let's make the best experiences in the world. Uh, and, and stuff like that, first of all, inspires the organization and say, okay, it's not being number two or three or four and a half. It's about being the best. Uh, and of course, when some uh, traditional old company like Co-op says something like that, then the media picks that up because that's not usual uh, to say things like that. Uh, and uh, I, I guess that's uh, that's why they, they love me so much. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a AI guru, let's let's speak about AI. Why yeah. AI? 
Well, first of all, I would like to say that, you know, I'm not really as smart as Martin, for instance. I'm not a data scientist. Uh, I just, uh, uh, I'm a sci-fi nerd with in in incredibly uh, lively imagination. Uh, and I read a lot about the different AI technologies. So I, I put two and two together and then I figure out uh, something new. But in general, for what you need to understand about AI, it's uh, if, if you make an analogy uh, like when the world was using steam power and then they move over to electricity, uh, we are seeing the same shift here. That's very, very important to understand. Uh, I read a report once from a couple of, of professors in, in the States where they were looking at what happened to the biggest uh, companies in the world back then when the world transitioned from steam power to electricity. And it turned out that almost 80% of the companies disappeared and they wanted to know why. Why did, I mean, there were very smart uh, people running these companies. They've built, you know, empires. So how can they make such a fatal mistake? And what turned out to be is that, you know, back then, even then they did those business cases, you know, and stuff like that, the return of investments and all that. And they said that, okay, this new technology, uh, electricity, is around 30, 40% more efficient. Let's invest in steam power and close the gap, you know. And then 30 years later, it was totally messed up. 80% of the companies were gone. And then it turned out that when you build a factory for steam power, you need to put the machines close to the source because you cannot transfer steam power over, over distance. Uh, but electricity, even though it started with shorter distance, very fast, it went up to you know kilometers and miles. And they didn't know that when they did the business case. So now you could build factories that were optimized after the, the logistics, not where the electrical plug is. Uh, and the same thing is with AI. You can't really know everything, but in most cases, in my experiences, when you get to a company and they want to try AI out, they say, what's the business case? What's the return on investment? And, and they spend sometimes 50, 60, 70, 80,000 euros discussing this shit while <laughs> testing it costs 15,000 euros. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is why uh, AI is so important. You can't know everything yet because we are at the start of it. So is that like comparable to uh, internet when when the internet came? Yeah. Would you say it's the same shift we're going it, through? It's the same thing and it's impossible, you know, I mean, just imagine the balls the Swedish government had back then. How would they know that there would be a Swish? How would they know there would be an Uber? How would they know there would be a Spotify? They know, knew nothing of this. They just understood that this needs, this is important and we need to get this in place. Hmm. Uh, if you would have done a business case back then, you know, of course you, you just say, okay, we put all this infrastructure in place, but we have no businesses on it. So, okay, it's a loss, we don't do it. Then we would never have all these companies that we have today. So we're, we're on the verge to disrupting industries here with AI. And societies and, and, and society. human nature and biology and everything is being disrupted. You know, my, my son is six years old and he will live to be 200, not because we are biologically better. It's because we have better medicine. We have robotics that repairs uh, body parts. We can grow new body parts, you know, and stuff like that. It would change everything. And our society is built for someone who dies at 80. 
But what happens, you know, for the coming 20 years, when we rapidly will go from 80 to 160 average age, society will collapse. In the same time, we have a government that has a digitalization and energy minister. You know, they don't even take it serious. They put those two together. So I don't think people understand the, the radical shift that is coming. So I read an article where you said, which got quite a lot of headlines in Sweden, it said, uh, AI is not a choice. It's a matter of survival. Mm. Would that it's, be? It's, it's exactly that. You know, it's about survival. If you don't try out electricity now, you will fail. Mm. It's as simple as that. Simple as that. Yeah. <laughs> Difficult as that, potentially. Uh, I don't now, know. <laughs> when, when we spoke last time, you said you don't really like to speak about technology. Why, mm. why is that? Because, uh, I mean, uh, uh, my personal belief is that uh, people use uh, buzzwords and tech words just to, to outmaneuver others because not, not all people understand technology. So I like to speak, you know, about the value we're trying to produce mm. uh, and not so much uh, an example of, you know, we use this tech or we use that tech. So I'll give you a concrete example, you know, uh, and I, I'm sure it's similar to many uh, other uh, companies as well. You know, you, you try to sell something in, especially to a big old organization, uh, but immediately you come into a technological discussion. Yeah, should it be that database or this database? Should it be this cashier system or that cashier system? But for instance, uh, when we when we uh, developed Scan and Pay, uh, the app we have for uh, when you can scan your products and pay immediately in the phone, we developed that prototype. It took around three months. We never discussed with anyone what kind of uh, platforms are powering the experience. But when we sold this in to the rest of co-op, we didn't go there to show them, uh, yeah, we're using uh, this cashier system with this database and this platform. We went there, we took the phone and we put, picked up a package of milk and we scanned and we paid and we showed them the receipt and they're like, holy shit, I want that. <laughs> and then they, they say, okay, great, we will give it to you. Yeah, but you have to ad adjust it to our system. Then, uh, you know, we just say, sorry, we're not here to discuss systems. Mm. Do you want the experience for your customers or do you don't? Mm. And, you know, eventually they say, of course, we want the experience. This experience is superior to the other one. Okay, great. So no discussion about systems and technology because it's hard to understand, you know, but if you show what it can do and the value it provides, this is what the organization should rally about or around. So that is, that is so interesting. And I know that you spent, you have, uh, I mean, uh, a technical background, and then you spent mm. quite a lot of your years building successful startup companies. And But the last couple of years, you spent your career at very old traditional companies, like we said, like Stenaline mm. and uh, Co-op. Uh, and many people said that you went into this mission impossible what made you succeed with these radical changes in these large, large enterprises? Uh, I think, you know, the first thing is I don't talk uh, about technology at all. So we mentioned that. The second thing is that I, I, I always start by uh, creating a vision for where we want to go. 
Uh, and I use a lot of, you know, I create movies. Uh, I, I use, uh, I have an illustrator that is that has been working with me for like 10 years. Uh, and what, what this guy does is that he, he draws the future. Uh, and I show that as a picture because, uh, you know, putting bullet lines on a slide, that's boring. No one gets it. But if you show a picture, an image, an illustration of something, people, you know, start seeing, you know, oh, this is a future we can build. Uh, and once that vision, you know, is clear to everyone, this is where, you know, I, that's that's how far I can take it. And then I have smarter people than me that understands, okay, if we want to achieve this that you have drawn here, then we need this and that and this and that. And I said, okay, great. Where do we start? Yeah, we start with this small part here. I said, that's feasible. We can do that already next week. Okay, uh, what problem are we solving? Yeah, it's that, you know, it's saving time and then it's convenience. Okay, then we measure convenience, you know, uh, or whatever it might be. Uh, so uh, th this is very important, you know, to, to understand what the vision is, uh, because otherwise it's, it's very hard to, uh, it, it becomes too abstract. Uh, and there to be bold, I think, big, right? Set that. Yeah, yeah. Get there and get yeah, the Yeah, yeah. There going. is no reason to, you know, be best in Sweden. Uh, who cares about that? You know, it's about uh, being the best in the world. Uh, <laughs> no. I love that. And and speaking about that, and also tying that together with the customer experience in retail, another headline in a newspaper that I read hmm. uh, from Co-op that I think you're um, um, behind is that we are turning our grocery stores into Apple stores, hmm. so to speak. W what do you mean by that? How yeah. can you grocery store into an Apple store? Yeah, so so uh, what Apple does very well is that they have they have created an experience like no other, uh, especially in the store. Uh, so if you go to an Apple store, you can see that they have a lot of space, but they have like six products in the whole store. You know, that's all they have. But they've created some kind of you know community feeling. People go there to share experiences. The, and also when you go in there, there is an army of people working their staff, you know. So the reason we are, for instance, using Quinix when we are uh, doing, you know, uh, scheduling or the reason why we use scan and pay and, and an AI functionality uh, or uh, ordering in uh, or whatever it might be via AI is not because we want to fire everyone and have an entity in the cloud that makes us money. You know, it's not about that. It's, it's not rocket science, how to create the best store experience in the world. You just fill it with people and everyone is an expert in everything. You have olive oil expert, you have dairy product expert, you have bread expert, you have, you know, but we cannot do that. It will, it will uh, crush the company, you know, uh, financially. But we have a lot of people doing things there is no reason for them to do, like sitting in a cashier. So we want to automate and use services like scan and pay and automatic scheduling and stuff like that. So we can take these resources and put them in the store and start educating them in becoming experts in their area. So that when you come to co-op, it's not because you want to see toilet paper, we know how toilet paper looks like. We can just, that part is, you know, that's, we don't need to do that. We want to have you come to the store to tell us, you know, you know what, I just bought a new oven and uh, I need an olive oil that suits well with this model. 
And then our staff will be, you know what? You should use this olive oil. It's from the family north of Italy. They just had a daughter, you know. I mean, that kind of experience. I would go there just to, 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 to chat about olive oil, you know, even if I don't want to buy anything, <laughs> you know. And, and this is what we want to achieve. But to get there, we need to take these steps, automating what should be automated and so on. So that's the sole purpose uh, of why we're doing this journey. So I love that. And I, I hear what you're saying that it's not rocket science to create the best customer experience in the world. And I would guess that everyone who sits and attends this session here today is like, yes, I want to create the best customer experience in the world, of course, for my business. Hmm. But how and where do I start? And especially uh, embracing AI, where do I start and how? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, in general, very often there are, if you look at you know, what you're doing in the organization, there are areas where you can uh, start very fast and simple uh, and, and create those uh, and get those low hanging fruits. Um, because uh, that will help you uh, finance, you know, the, the journey ahead. But what, what you also need... What would be low-hanging fruits for you? Uh, I mean, one of the things we are doing is uh, we're using machine learning models now to cluster our stores differently than we did uh, earlier. So uh, traditionally, you know, in the grocery retailer business, what you do is you, clust- you cluster stores by how big they are. And then you decide an assortment to them. But what we're doing now with our uh, data scientists is we are looking into the behavior of the customers in the store and clustering by behavior. Oh, wow. So being super customer centric. Yeah. And based on those behaviors, we we, uh, simulate an assortment. Uh, so, so that's one thing. And, you know, there's a lot of money on having the right assortment for a store. Another thing we're doing is scheduling uh, together with you guys. So that's also something we started. It's in Coop uh, Norbotten, who's trying that out right now, uh, where we just uh, uh, try to, to, to create automatic uh, schedules uh, because we spend a lot of money on that. That's another thing. Um But all those things, you know, it's different from different companies and organizations. But what you need to understand is that, for instance, I'm in the highest management at Coop. So you need to be serious about this shit. Because most companies, what they do is they have a CIO or head of AI or whatever, you know, and they report to the CFO or or the CMO or bullshit like that. And that's not (laughs) serious, you know. What is driving change in society is not, is not the way we do financial controlling. Mm-hmm. It's technological advancements. Yeah. And if you don't understand that at the highest level, then you're doomed. Mm-hmm. If you look at the most successful companies in the world, they all have very technological savvy leaders. And the ones that are succeeding with their transformation are the ones that have technology competence at the very top. So that would be your key to success. Put put the tech nerd in the management team, so to mm. say. Yeah. And what 
So that's some really great advice here. So really what's driving change in society is technological advancement. So make mm. sure to have that covered in the management team. It's not mm. financial modeling. No, <laughs> that no. would be the lesson. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I'm not saying I'm no, no disrespect to the rest of the organization. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, no one cares that we are investing heavily in a new warehouse. Yeah. No one cares that we upgraded our e-commerce platform. Uh, what they care about is convenience and an ease of experience. Mm. With that said, obviously, all the other things we're doing are necessary to deliver on that experience. Mm. But in the end, what they care about is if it's easy in other areas, it must be easy in Coop. And I'm not talking about our own industry. We're competing with the next app next to Coop app. We're not competing. Usually, you know, 10 years ago or 20, you could say, okay, the experience is great in this app or in this business, but they are banking. We are grocery. Mm. No, the customer doesn't give a shit. If I can swipe at Spotify, I want to swipe at the bank app and I want to swipe at the Coop app. Yeah. So we're competing with all experiences, not yeah. only verticals. And the, and the demands and requirements are high from the end users, right? Extremely. Yeah. You have three seconds. If it's shit, they move on and yeah. they never come back. Mm. Well, so what would you say? I mean, it's, it's uh, highly competitive times. The pandemic has made it potentially even harder for, mm. especially for some retailers. And uh, many industries are, uh, I mean, are challenged and suffering. What would you say is the single most important component to get the edge over your competition in highly competitive industries to disrupt an industry? Experience. Experience, yeah. yeah. All focus is on experience. Uh, mm. We don't do any coding before we have the right experience. Mm. So we always prototype apps and we try them out. We, we use customers, we use internal uh, testers and so on until we have the right experience. And once we have that, then the technical part is easy. Uh, mm. That's not uh, usually the problem. Great. So let's move over a bit to the organizational part of this. Mm. Um, I heard you saying, I mean, you have lots, lots of bold statements in your uh, media portfolio, I would say. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> why, why do you hate steering groups? Aha, uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a backstory to that. You know, uh, the first time I heard the word steering committee or, or steering group was um, at Stenaline. And I've all, I, uh, Stenaline was my first job, so... I, I never heard, uh, I had my own companies back then. Uh, and of course, a startup, they don't uh, bullshit with steering groups. Uh, they don't have the money for that. So uh, when I uh, was uh, uh, pushing for a project uh, or a product in, in Stenaline, and then uh, when I presented it to the board, and then they said, okay, who's in the steering group for this? And uh, mind you, this was the first time I heard that word. And because, <laughs> you know, Stenaline, I was thinking steering the ship. That's oh, what yeah. I thought it meant. <laughs> so I asked, you know, why should the captain be involved in this? And they looked at me like, what, what captain? What are you talking about? I said, I'm, you said steering group. Uh, why is the, the steering people relevant here? And they said, no, no, the steering group, the people that decide that make the decisions. I said, for what? Yeah, the project. I said, yeah, but I just presented to you the people who are working with it. 
Mm. Yeah, but who takes the decisions? The group. No, but you need uh, other people, like managers. And I said, because it was, it was a data science project. And uh, then I said, okay, so we have more data scientists. I didn't know that. They said, no, no, it's just managers. I said, <laughs> then I was completely, you know, I said, this doesn't make sense. Why do you need a group of six people telling what four people should do? And they yeah. have not no competence in that area. So, you know, this is a matter of trust, you know. Mm. Uh, and and I hire, you know, try to hire the, the smartest people in the world, not so that I can take the decisions, mm. because that, that will fail. You know, I hire the smartest people in the world, so they tell me what they need from me, and I make sure that happens, you know. So this is an old relic, you know, from, from uh, in the industrial time, uh, mm. and it bottles <laughs> down to, to trust. I love that story also with the captain. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, he said steering, so I thought it meant yeah. something with steering. You know, we actually got time for some questions from the audience here as well, and we have lots of questions coming in for you. So are you ready for some spontaneous questions? Yeah, sure. Uh, so let's see here. Uh, how are you going to streamline the user experience in the physical stores today? Today, according to me, there is a big difference between the different co-op stores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, a question we're debating all the time, and it's a it's a balance act of having the financial resources to to redo all stores, uh, and in the same time trying to develop our digital experiences. But we, we have uh, internal strategies. Uh, I cannot talk about them so much. But what we're trying to do is to make it to, we call it a unified commerce experience. So we try to disregard the channel and make sure that the, the experience from the, the moment you think about something at home until you actually buy it in the store and then come home again should be more unified. Uh, mm. And uh, I think that uh, there will, in the, the coming two years, we'll see radical changes in what we call unified commerce experience, uh, where we mix the digital and the, and the physical. Exciting. Uh, so we'll, we'll make sure to keep a close look at co-op and the development there. Yeah. So another question coming up, are investments in AI taken from a central innovation budget or from operating costs? Yeah, that's a great question. Where yeah, do you find money? Yeah, it's operating cost. It's, mm -hmm. it's, we have a data science team, so it's a core competence. Mm -hmm. And that's something you need to uh, also important. We have a head of AI, Jakob Liljedal, a very smart guy. And so far, I think there are four data scientists right now. Mm -hmm. And we're adding six more this year. Uh, oh, wow. So yeah, this, this heavily is, uh, in. Yeah, in we, are, uh, we are doing AI first in everything we do. Uh, every pipeline we set up, every platform we start with, it's always AI first. That doesn't mean it has to has, have AI from day one, but when we set it up, we, we know that, okay, the best way to set it up right now is using Excel, but uh, the next version will use, uh, you know, if else statements, and then the third version will use machine learning. Yeah. Love it, and it's a bold yeah. statement, AI first. Yeah. <laughs> really cool. Uh, so uh, another question coming up, in what kind of data uh, do you rely on to understand customer behavior in stores? Yeah, so it's a, it's a mix of data. In 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 some uh, in some stores we have uh, cameras, very modern cameras, where we can anonymously track uh, uh, certain behaviors. Uh, but most of the time we use um, a mix between what they did online 
and what they actually bought in the in the store. Uh, and then we have, uh, I think, uh, something with Telia data as well, you know, how they move around before they come to the store and things like that. So it's very much, you know, public data we use uh, or available data, I should say, mm. that we use. So another question um, uh, from myself. Okay, yeah. <laughs> if, 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 if AI is implemented and, I mean, we uh, work a lot with getting everything automized and potentially we touched upon this, but what do we do with all the people when AI is in place and it's AI first? We use them for uh, customer experience. Mm. So, uh, you know, in the end, this, I think that the stores will still have a role, even though we are moving, you know, to digital experiences. But the store, especially when it comes around food, you know, we humans in general like to gather around the campfire, mm. which is food, you know, the store in this, uh, in this case, uh, and create some kind of, community you know sense of community uh, around it and i think that the stores of the future if you want will not have you know cans of tomatoes and and diapers and and toilet paper in the store those you can get home automatically by by drones or whatever but the stores will have a, a place where you go there to to feel a sense of community uh, with others like-minded like you and discuss things and so on um, and in, in those kind of scenarios, our colleagues at the stores will be crucial to the success, just like in the Apple stores uh, today. Exciting, yeah. And uh, another question coming up here. Uh, is, there, is there anything that AI cannot solve? No, I think given the time, it will solve everything. And I mean, just imagine, you know, most experts say today that around 2035 or 2040, we will have uh, super AI. Uh, which is basically smarter than us. And then from there, it will only take two years for that AI to be 200 times smarter than us. Uh, and then we will, you know, that's a different problem. <laughs> so it's time to jump on the train. Yeah. That's for sure. Uh, another question here. Um, how do you implement AI in a startup? What needs to already in place to take that step? I mean, I think in a startup, that's a lot easier because, you know, uh, a startup never has any money. And, and uh, what you do in a startup is you, lose, you use a lot of AI, uh, open source uh, technology. And, uh, and uh, a open source, uh, I mean, all our AI efforts are built on open source libraries. It's not something that we, we don't invent our own models and so on. Uh, but in a startup, what is important is not, you know, if they use AI or not, you know, what is important is, you know, what problem are we solving? Mm. And once you figure that out, then it just becomes natural that how do we solve it in the cheapest, most efficient way? And then you will automatically come into the AI track. You know, that's- Is uh, that the same, could that be used the same philosophy in larger enterprises like Co-op or StandAlign? Yeah, that's, that, that's uh, I think that's part of my success. So I run my organizations as a startup, you know, still to this day, I get surprised every month when I get my salary because I'm not really used to getting a salary every month. And I have this sense of urgency, even in a big billion dollar company like Co-op. Uh, uh, that's why I make sure that everyone in my organization understands, you know, what is the cost 
of the solution that they're working with. Mm. Uh, for instance, in traditional IT, when you talk to the people developing and you ask them, what, what does this cost? They don't know because it's not coming from the management, that secret information, you know, bullshit like that. But I make sure that everyone understands the cost of what they're working on because in some cases, or actually most cases, the developer themselves can tell me, you know what, but there is an easier way to do this. Mm. Oh, really? And cheaper. Okay, how? Yeah, like this, or use that, or that. Okay, great. Then we skip that and we do your thing, you know. So empower the employees and can like bring the decision level to the people who can make the decisions, right? So uh, lots of questions coming in here. I'll, okay. I'll take um, a couple of uh, couple of more questions before we wrap up. Yeah. Um, so Stan, Stan here is asking, how do you plan to avoid your customers getting a feeling of you knowing too much about their habits or their needs? Mm, yeah, that's a, a good question. You know, uh, first of all, I would like to say that even though I speak, you know, ambitiously about all the things we're doing, in the end, you know, it's about providing convenience for the customer. And I, I like to take an analogy, you know, 10 years ago, I would never have entered my credit card numbers in any web page whatsoever. Mm. Today, I do it like 40 times a day, it feels like. <laughs> because it offers convenience. <laughs> yeah, it, it offers convenience, you know. And I think we have the same approach here. We will never do, uh, Steve Jobs once said, you know, don't be assholes. So we will never do anything where we don't ask the customer first what we are doing, you know, we are doing this, are you okay with it? Mm. Even though they already signed, you know, the 80-page agreement that no one reads, if we come up with something new, we will pop up a notification saying, okay, this is what we would like to do. This is what you will get. Is it okay? Uh, and if it's okay, then we do it. If it's not, then we don't. Uh, mm. It's as simple as that. It's all about the value, right? The yeah. value creation. It's, yeah. it's like, you know, the, the Apple, Apple does this very good. So they have this health app in the phone. And I exercise a lot, so I look at this app and I see an empty graph. And I'm wondering, you know, why is it empty? So I go into it and they say, we need this data to fill this in for you. Mm. So I can see the value because I see the graph and I want to know what the graph shows. But they can't because they don't have the data. And immediately I say, okay, take the data. Mm. And now I have the value, the graph, you know. And we will do the same thing. We will just have, you know, empty graphs or empty boxes and say, you know what, you could have this. I think this would help. Do you want it? You know, mm. don't be assholes. <laughs> don't be assholes. It's mm. <laughs> a great quote. So question coming in from David. Uh, how do you see the future of stores? You mentioned, for example, Apple stores and the experience mm. and get the bulk delivered. But will there be a time where everything is delivered to our homes. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I think that's not so far off. Already now there are like 10 cities in the world delivering by drone. Mm. Uh, because the, the big uh, problem today with online delivery is that it costs a lot and no one is willing to pay for it. Uh, so we need to automate that part. And I'm pretty sure that's coming. <clears throat> but the store's place will be some kind of... Uh, community plaza, inspirational, you know, stuff. So you go there to, to smell new experiences, to, to feel new experiences, to taste new experiences. You don't go there to shop. Mm. Uh, 
uh, and that's what I think it will be for. So it's really about it's really about the customer experience. Yeah, and nothing yeah. else. Yeah. Finally, thank you so much, Amr. This has been really, really insightful and inspirational. And finally, if you'd leave us with one key learning from today's episode, what would that be? Uh, the only way to succeed is to fast, uh, fail faster than everyone else. Fail faster than everyone else. Yeah. And could you, what do you mean by that? Do you have any examples? <laughs> you need to, um, uh, if you, you could spend eight months discussing something with 14 stakeholders and trying to sync, you know, 21 calendars, or you could just have a hypothesis and try it out immediately. Mm. Uh, and the only way to success is to fail fast. The, I mean, if someone knows in, in the in the audience how to plan for success, I would love to hear it. Yeah. Uh, to my knowledge, there is no such thing as planning for success. Uh, so you All need to testing. fail fast. Yeah. Fail fast. And what I will take away from from this conversation is it's all about passion and trust and you mm -hmm. really embody that believing in in the people who make the decisions and really empower them to make those decisions mm -hmm. and also it's not rocket science to create the best customer experience in the world right <laughs> thank you it's uh, thank you so much for joining us here today Ahmed and thank you everyone for joining this webinar now if you want to know more about how to let AI power up your organization and your workforce make sure to reach out to us at Quinix and thanks again and remember AI it's it's not a choice it's a matter of survival. Mm -hmm.